Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interviewed Chinmay and Charlie, co-founders of RidePanda, about the efforts to build a better customer journey for people looking to purchase micromobility. The platform is relatively new, but it hits on a very relevant need, as you'll hear in this podcast. Thanks to Riley Brennan from Trucks VC for putting me onto them. In news, the big news of the week is the release of the Micromobility 500, our updated landscape map of the micromobility ecosystem, looking at all the major players. It's grown substantially from our first efforts over a year ago in Berlin to now include 500 companies. Super exciting, and thanks to Alessandro and Chase for driving it. If you're a company that is part of the industry, you should be on this landscape. Check it out at micromobility.io. In wider news, Ola will spend $327 million to build the world's largest electric moped factory in South India. The SoftBank-backed Indian ride-hailing firm says the factory will have initial capacity to produce 2 million vehicles a year. The vehicle manufacturing game is really starting to heat up, and it's interesting that it's coming from Ola, a ride-hailing player of all places. Looking forward to seeing where this ends up. There's also been a slew of fundraising news, with the biggest being that European operator Voy has closed a $160 million round as a mixture of debt and equity, led by the Rain Group, and including Balderton, who also led the recent Van Mouth round. This comes on top of the recent $250 million round in Tia, led by SoftBank, and the expansion coming from Bolt, not to mention Lime and Bird's continued efforts across Europe. The space is heating up, and I don't see any signs of it slowing down. Very exciting times. And now, here's Chinmay and Charlie. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. I have with me today uh, Chinmay and Charlie. How are you guys going? Doing very well. You're doing very well. A little jealous uh, of you, Oliver, in New Zealand, but uh, we are surviving here in the US. Yeah. <laughs> and where are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where are you both based? Uh, so we are both in uh, uh, San Francisco. I live in the city, downtown, and Charlie lives up in the woods in uh, Mill Valley. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. I've, uh, I've, I've never spent any time up in Mill Valley, but I hear it's very nice. Yeah, actually, the bike infrastructure up here is really nice. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, been taking Excellent. advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, um, look, I'm really excited to have you, you both on because this is a... Um, I've had... Uh, this actually came through as a referral from uh, wonderful Riley Brennan. Thank you, Riley, uh, who had, who had uh, given a, a shout out to you both uh, and said, look, you, sh- you should really go and check out uh, what Ride Panda are doing. So... Um, I, I thought maybe what would be useful is if, if you could just start with, you know, what is RidePanda and the, and the sort of the overarching thing, and then we can go into a little bit about your backgrounds and how and why you ended up coming to to this uh, to this play. Sure, happy to. Thank you. Thanks so much again, um, Oliver, for having us. So with RidePanda, we're trying to build the world's first marketplace that helps users get access to high-quality vetted light electric vehicles across electric scooters, electric bikes, and electric mopeds. Uh, where we give them a recommendation engine to find the best fit for their use case, their needs, their demographic, as well as all of the support uh, needed for peace of mind of ownership. That starts from theft insurance, a maintenance plan, at-home assembly, additional warranty, 
roadside assistance, the right accessories, monthly financing, all of the things uh, you may need. Uh, similar to how a car dealership operates, we are trying to be the, let's say, the online dealership for all things e-mobility. Yes, that's really exciting. Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah, look, I, I think generally speaking, uh, the the buying experience, I mean, when I first talked to you about this, the, I mean, I was relaying, I think, my experience of going with my mum to try and buy an e-mic and just the the experience of what that had been like, which get, really lent uh, a lot of credence to why you're trying to build, you know, when, when you explain what you're trying to build, I thought, oh, yeah, no, absolutely, there's such, a, there's such a need in the market for that. So, if I may, what I might start with is, uh, um, like, yes, I just tried to buy an e-bike for my mum and the experience was pretty terrible. We ended up trying to trying a di- number of different vehicles uh and then she took it back from the city that she bought it in where i live to where she lives and the she cannot get it serviced or she's struggling to get it serviced and it's just a kind of a bit of a pain to be honest about the whole the whole experience and she did. so um i can absolutely see that there's such a large gap in the market and and, and it's something that horace and i've talked about um in terms of you know what the what the buyer experience like at the moment for for electric vehicles has really, you know, it's still mum and pop stores. The supply chain on this whole space is really still like mum and pop stores at the retail at the retail level. So maybe to explain, like, it would be useful as I sort of mentioned to to go back and understand like what it was in your experience um, that like led you to doing this. What what was what was your backgrounds? Yeah, yeah. So actually me and both me and Charlie actually come from the sharing companies. So I used to work at Lime, Charlie worked in Bird and Scoot. And we are incredibly proud of the work we did, our colleagues are doing, and the investors, the founders, in terms of introducing millions of people to these new ways of moving in cities, which are environmentally friendly, a lot more fun, electric, etc. But from our vantage point, uh, working at these companies, we saw huge demand for personal ownership, where people were looking for their own e-bike or looking for their own electric scooter or, elect- or electric moped, which has only been, uh, you know, which, which, which the demand for that has only been skyrocketed thanks to, you know, the pandemic, which we are mm-hmm. in today, where people are looking for a single passenger safer way to move uh, within cities. Uh, you know, for, we saw from uh, that there were clear unmet need on both sides of this marketplace. For the user, as you mentioned, uh, your experience and your you know, mom's experience around, uh, there is tons of tons of options out there. It's a wild, wild west for the user in terms of choices, which is very exciting. But as a user, what we saw from our research is that they're suffering or struggling with this lack of trust. What is a good product versus what is a bad product? As well as decision fatigue. Okay, fine, these are the 10 good choices for me. What is the right one for me? And I may be a food delivery driver. I may be a tech-savvy millennial living in San Francisco, want to go on top of a hill. I might be someone living in New York City who needs something portable, lightweight. I might be a baby boomer who's a 65-year-old living in Miami. So all you know, that's the pain we saw from the consumer point. And it did not end from when they had the vehicle. Once you have the vehicle, what about the support then? Like, let's say you get get a ship online. What about assembly? What about maintenance? What about insurance? All of those pieces we saw from the consumer side. Now, if you look at the other side of the marketplace, which are these vehicle brands, what we found, and these are the conversations that I had during my time at Lime as well, is that, you know, while they're sitting on top of an amazing demand curve, which is you know, super cool for the industry in general, as well as for the consumers, the challenges for the for a vehicle brand today is because they're in such a fragmented, crowded market, it's very hard for them to stand out. 
It's almost mm-hmm. like I heard in my conversation, some of the brands even shared, create for someone like Yelp to come in and say, well, hey, this is the top five, 10 e-bike brands, and this is why they are top, because of these are X and Y and Z reasons. Uh, and the second thing that we, you know, we, we, we thought that we could offer them is uh, a better way to sell, which is on success basis, worsening instead of score, which is everybody trying to toot their own horn uh, in the market. And then finally, the third piece that Sorry, we think we can also- Explain that last part. So the, when you say, oh, you just mean, you mean about finding a trusted platform. So like, how do I trust that anybody's actually, you know, I, it's very easy to go out and self-proclaim that you're the world's best e-bike or the world's best scooter, but how do you actually <laughs> exactly. assess that? Yeah, yeah, okay. It, I hear you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, so the, that, that stamp of quality, that trust uh, as a neutral third party that yep. we want to provide, uh, both to the high quality vehicle brands, which also we hope helps the users as well uh, in terms of making the right choice. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Um, and Charlie, you, so uh, you dropped off for a second there. But, yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Chinmay had, had mentioned that you were, um, that you had originally been at uh, Bird and Scoot. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. So how did you end up meeting? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Uh, so I'm not sure what you think of, of online dating, but uh, <laughs> I, I, we met on this online dating platform called LinkedIn. Yeah. And, oh, wow. um, you know, we started chatting uh, and we had our first coffee date uh, at the beginning of this year in January. And yeah. uh, we had, you know, a classic spot, uh, Sight Glass on 7th Street in Soma in San Francisco. And, uh, yeah, met up there, started chatting and, uh, you know, couldn't stop talking. I think it was kind of, you know, love at first sight. And um, I think we were especially sort of bonded over our our mission to get two-ton polluting cars off the streets. You know, we'd both been working in in micromobility. Chinmay's first panda adventure was actually at the World Wildlife Fund. And my, my first two major jobs out of school were both at environmental nonprofits, uh, one called Future Generations and one called Waterkeeper Alliance. So I think that, that really bonded us, uh, that mission to get two-ton polluting cars off the streets, uh, reduce CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. I did realize, Charlie, this is very interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, I used to be a climate activist. This was way back in my, like, straight out of uni. Oh, amazing. Well, last couple of years yeah. of uni and then uh, straight out of uni. Anyway, <laughs> fascinating time. Um, interesting how I think I think there's, like, a large group of the people who are interested in micromobility have come to it on, along the, the, the kind of, you know, how do we obsolete the old ways of doing things? And that's yes. where I kind of ended up finding micromobility was... It's like you want to build the better solution rather than try and fight the existing incumbent. Anyway, um, yeah, great. Well, look, um, so and then from from that perspective, so, so yes, you can see that there's lots of gaps in the market. There's obviously Shared has dealt with one particular aspect of that ownership or sorry, of that kind of access, access piece. But um, in terms of the kind of the overall framing of that market, as you kind of mentioned, there's highly fragmented. It's challenging to be able to do the kind of whole ownership journey. So not in the selection in a way that um, you can find a trusted solution, but also as well that you can find the solution on the other end. And, you know, I'm thinking about, there's a, there's a guy called Ryan Johnson who uh, has founded a company called Cul-de-Sac, yep. which is doing the, the sort of micromobility first real estate developments. And I'm trying to get him on the podcast. If anybody knows Ryan and can like put in a word, that would be great. Um, but he, he was pu- posting on Twitter two days ago about the fact that, um, they're building in real estate development right next door to them is an auto shop. The auto shop doesn't have any, you know, like still has plenty of space, but the nearest bike shop two weeks 
is the the shortest wait time before you can get you know your bike seen to and there, there's going to be a need for sort of a um, over time as we see this growth of this new vehicle class um, kind of across scooters e-bikes and, and e-scooters etc and, and e-mopeds that we will end up with new infrastructure and service plans and all that sort of stuff and nobody really has nailed that until now except and this would be my my posit and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this hmm. van move and i and i say that because I, obviously we've interviewed taco a couple of times on the podcast but you know that end-to-end experience of saying you know you can buy it and it's a full service plan and it's got theft protection and all that sort of stuff um any any further thoughts on anybody else in the market who's trying to provide that and how they're doing yeah, I think I think uh, great point. I think to be honest, uh, uh, we have definitely we have heard uh, Taco speak on this podcast a couple of times. Very inspiring. I think very excited. And to be honest, we think we are all united, including Van Move, including Lime, including us, in terms of our mission of of how you know we make this ecosystem so easy, so convenient, so accessible that consumers don't have to think twice about getting a another car or a second car or they actually think that these these categories are accessible when move i think is an interesting play where they're vertically integrating everything mm-hmm. we think uh, there are there are a couple of battles to be you know to be taken for when you're building a company for when move it's a high quality product amazing marketing all the support supply chain as well as international uh, you know expansion i think there's so many different things that it's doing which is uh, where we think we could help uh, you know a, a brand like when move is on the support and servicing as well as uh, you know as well as being part of our trusted platform in terms of recommendation so for example for, a, for some section of users they will love a when move they will get a when move which is great but there is there is definitely a consumer that has come to us and interacted with us and bought from us is where they know a brand let's say when move but they want to compare it across a couple of different choices. They want to know, okay, do I need a throttle? Do I need a step through? Do I need a suspension? Do I even need an e-bike? What about a scooter? Do maybe do I want to go to an electric moped? Does it go on top of hills? Can I carry it easily? All of those questions we help address from our platform. So I think that there are different plays at it. You could vertically integrate. You could uh, you could focus on the brand. You can focus the supply chain and hardware. Um, uh, and there are, oh, there are different companies doing different pieces. Uh, we think what we are focused on is an amazing product and a consumer experience on the software side, as well as operationally all the support and servicing. Those are the battles, let's say, we are choosing to fight uh, against uh, the car. Whereas, uh, uh, whereas I think focus and focus is very important. Uh, you know, and, and you know, uh, and that's how sort of we think we can we play a role in the ecosystem and where we are helping and uh, you know the different brands. Mm. Um, so take me through what the journey would be like for someone who comes. So I have actually looked at your website, but I, but I am, you know, doesn't quite so apply to me in New Zealand, but I, but I, but in terms of thinking it through, uh, so someone comes to your website and it's like, I want to look at selecting for an e-bike or a scooter or whatever. What's that user journey like? Yeah, sure. I, I can talk about the, the sort of the journey there. So much like you might go to your, you know, trusted local bike shop, uh, if you're looking for e-mobility solutions, you'll come to, to Ride Panda. And much like you might meet someone on the floor uh, who's an expert on, on all the bikes in a bike shop, uh, our Ride Finder serves that purpose. So our Ride Finder has data uh, that we've collected from our vetting system uh, on all the vehicles we have in our catalog, uh, it knows about all the different components of all the different vehicles and uses that data to help match a user with, with the perfect set of vehicles for their use cases. So through RideFinder, 
um, a user will, will give us the, their height, their weight, uh, their their use cases, their budget. So for use cases, they may say, you know, I, I want to haul some some kids and some groceries and I need to go up some steep hills. Um, or they may say, I just need to ride on, you know, flat surfaces and just want it for kicking around the neighborhood. Um, in either case, we'll, we'll match you, uh, match you, match the user to the, the right drive profile for their, for their use cases. So in, in the case of going up steep hills, carrying some kids, uh, we'll, you know, match you with a, a beefier motor, uh, and then some cargo capacity, uh, and then present you with our ranked set of top choices, uh, for that vehicle, and then uh, you can go ahead and purchase that vehicle along with our our set of dealership services uh, from vehicle assembly to maintenance plan. So that you have that that peace of mind of ownership that you might not be able to get elsewhere. Yeah, I hear you about that. So, but I do wonder a little bit. So I'm trying to think of any purchased vehicle. So so like, hmm, what do I look at for when I'm doing uh, this journey? For example, for my mum which is I wanted to, she, she came to me because I was the trusted person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which is yep. like, okay, cool. you, you <laughs> yeah. probably know a bit more about e-bikes than I do, given what you, given what you do. Uh, and then I went along and was trying to, I mean, to be honest, I kind of ended up, we go, we went to like three shops and I, I kind of knew what I was looking for and I kind of knew what she was looking for. But for someone who's, I mean, how do you, who do you find are your customers? And because not everybody has access to me in terms of being able to assist with being like with what I, with what that user journey might look like um how do you find customers in the first place just out of curiosity and then also what would be a comparable site in terms of a user journey for a similar sort of purchase that you can think of that other you know listeners of the podcast might be able to go like oh that's a comparable sort of experience for being able to purchase that kind of uh object yeah yeah no uh, uh, uh great great question so i think um in terms of the in terms of the user journey, I think we are are, are what we have is a right front that Charlie mentioned is our first attempt in terms of creating that sort of a that offline experience that let's say your mom had in terms of different you know the different pieces and 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 like companies like for example Warby Parker do an amazing job in terms of taking a lot of different inputs from the and and the consumer about their needs their use case where they have bought something before what kind of specs they have, et cetera, et cetera. And then they sort of guide you to that process. We even found, there was even a study done by the Portland State University where they ask, you know, a lot of these e-bike owners around, you know, what are the, when we're looking for an e-bike, what are the criteria they have in terms of when they look for an e-bike? And what we learned is that number one thing that people want to know is the type of e-bike. Is it a step through? Is it fat tire? What is that type? The number two thing they care about is the battery range. Number three thing is the throttle type. Number four is the motor type. Uh, so, and the brand actually is the sixth most important criteria. Uh, so, so in our category, the brand recall is very limited. That that is where we think uh, you know our right finder uh, is is our is is way we want the customers to go through the journey and discover the right product. You also asked us how how are we getting customers? Where are we capturing them? Uh, yeah, to, I, mean, you I know, just wonder it, about it, how it, you capture them on that journey, right? Of yeah, ex- capturing yeah. intent. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the, the 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 experience today is very broken. Today people go online and you know they they Google and they search this. They may read a black from two years ago. They may go to a vendor's website. Uh, and to be honest, we are uh, what we are doing for that. We're building a lot of high quality content uh, mm-hmm. that as a trusted source that compares 
that tells people what is an e-bike, what is an e-scooter, what is a good e-bike, what is a good e-bike for baby boomers with hydraulic brakes, what is a good e-bike for food delivery drivers who may have an appetite for a throttle class 3 e-bike, etc. So we're building a lot of content around it. Still, we are, it's, it's early days for us. Uh, you know, to be able to uh, to be able to really say that we, we we sort of own that SEO space or organic search space yet. But what is interesting is even with you know we just started this year uh, and we we were to be honest, me and Charlie thought that the first customers we will have will be folks that look like me and Charlie, tech savvy millennials living in San Francisco, etc. What we found is actually very fascinating. Our consumers. Are, are a broad range of customers that came from us from be it from Facebook ads to Google searches that range anywhere from 25 year olds all the way to 70 year olds. Mm-hmm. So if I had people who are boomers who have bought from us, delivery drivers have bought from us, tech savvy millennials have bought for us, um, as well as families have bought from us. I think that, so, so uh, that is, it's, it's a very broad demographic uh, that, that still doesn't know what they want. Brand recall is very limited. Unlike, you know, when you buy a car, you know what is different between a Porsche and a Volvo and a Toyota. In our category, I think it's still very limited. Uh, and some, we some want, people yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah, some people do. Yeah. And another, some yeah. people are like, oh, that's a red car. And, and yeah. that's the sort of, you have to deal with all areas of that spectrum. And I think that that's a very valid point, right? When we think about similar micromobility, I'm a nerd. I totally love this stuff. And I'm going to be the guy who like remembers that a Porsche 11 Turbo is still 0 to 100 in 2.7 seconds, but most people don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I hear so, you about that. Yeah, yeah. Um that yeah, that's fascinating as well that it's that it's such a wide spectrum. I guess the part that I'm you know there is as you say, there isn't much brand recognition at the at the um in the, in the vehicle space. I do wonder how you know, because it's so early and the fact that vehicles themselves are highly modular. I mean, in the sense of it feels like it's quite early in the market development of the space and as Horace has kind of pointed out, you know, in the very early days of the auto industry, there were 3000 car manufacturers and eventually it consolidated down to about five. And, um, but, and I, and I, you know, that was in the day and the, the, the day in the era when, you know, there would have been volume manufacturing, there would have been uh, conditions around the marketplace where yes, you needed to end up having trusted suppliers, uh, sorry, trusted, you know, a trusted brand that you could purchase from. And then there was distribution networks that ended up being built out at scale and all of that sort of stuff. Whereas with the age of the internet, in some ways, there is always going to be the proliferation of really niche brands. And I do wonder whether or not the market will evolve uh, that you will end up with a sort of consolidation down to five brands of this or whether or not we will continue to see a very large swath because they are highly modular vehicles for the most part um, of these vehicles that like we just see a huge proliferation of brands. Either or, it probably works in your favor. Um, but, you know, it's just an interest. I, I'm kind of curious, have you thought or do you know any kind of indications of, of where you think the market's going to go? Yeah, so interesting. So I think the the we definitely look at the car world to see how these market might mature. What is interesting is that for e-bikes or getting an e-bike out of the door, as Charlie says, everybody and their uncle is making an e-bike. The barrier to entry is actually much lower. Yes. Right. So literally, if you wanted to build an e-bike company, you can maybe for your subscribers who are interested, they could just basically uh, <laughs> build one, uh, yep. or 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 and you know work with different manufacturers and factories across Asia, and then get uh, get a product up at, at scale very quickly. And I think that is where our wedding system comes in. So we we, we think the competition. Our thesis is the there's no one size fits all. Uh, you know. Uh, there are different needs and use cases, demographics. That that means that the, the variety is what the consumers need. Now the question, yes, if one brand could just own it, we think it would not necessarily be the case. 
looking at how the competition is today. Um, and, and we expect, yes, there will be some, some sort of consolidation, but we are more around uh, you know, 20, 30 to 50 brands to still play a leading role in, in this category. Uh, what value we provide, uh, we are also trying to take the role of sort of the unofficial FDA in this industry, right? Unlike cars, which go to such high scrutiny, you know, crash testing, etc., to be then be able to be sold in any country. I think for e-bikes, there's less of the case. And we are building that wedding system that looks at a lot of different components, battery, parts, etc., rates them, and then gets them on a platform. And if they don't pass our bar, we don't even list them on a platform. So that is that is the role sort of you're playing while uh, betting that this variety and fragmentation will only continue. Because the barriers to entry are only limited. Uh, the industry is very, very fast growing. It's shifting to online, shifting to electric globally. Um, and, 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 you know, this, there is a role for us to be played as a, as a wedding agency, uh, you know, in, in, in this sort of fragmented market that we see. Anything you'd add there, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, uh, just as, as Jin May was saying, there's such high, high variance out there in terms of the quality of the vehicles. I mean, we've just from doing some user research, you know, people have bought vehicles directly from factories in, over in China, and they have an issue in, in a month or two, and there's, there's really no recourse there. So I think, um, you know, the initial filtering layer that we provide at Ride Panda with our vetting system uh, is really important right now and will continue to be. Uh, and especially as we, as we you know, build out, build out that system, uh, we actually built it in conjunction with an um, automotive powertrain engineer uh, so we, we you know hi- highly weight the the powertrain so the motor and the battery pack and and even the the cells within the battery pack uh, making sure that those are from reputable manufacturers and that those manufacturers have a uh, good track record uh, and also are you know maintainable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that may, yeah well I think the maintainable part is one that's really important I so it's uh, long time listeners of the podcast will know I have a boosted rev I love this thing it is the best scooter like it is phenomenally capable but because the company's gone bankrupt and or it's like and i i just i popped a tire last week and it, it well no about a month ago and i only fixed it last week because it required me to go down to the bike shop rent some space from the bike shop fix my own tire and it's just like man nobody's gonna like i'm gonna do this because i love this but this is not a user experience that i could give to my mum, you know or to any of my friends or anybody who just you know wants to be able to have a scooter um so no i i totally hear you i think that's that's really really um really important um so who are you i mean when you say that your customers are the people who are coming to purchase the bikes, are they, or, I mean, how does it work for that relationship between uh, them? Do they, do they pay a fee or is it all, where, where's the business model cut for you guys? Is it from the manufacturer side or is it from the consumer side? So, so the business model is on the manufacturer side. What we, yeah. we, we are consumers, the role we are playing is an advocate for them. We get them access to all the high quality products and all the support. And then on the back side, we, we make uh, a success based fee for, from the manufacturers. So it's like the, the incentives align. If if we don't sell, it's free visibility, free branding, free credibility for all the brands who have passed our vetting system. If we do sell, we share uh, some part of the profit that you know. Hopefully, everybody's happy with. And so, are there um, for vehicle manufacturers? Do they? Do you go and uh, automatically find the vehicles that are out there, and you do all that analysis, or do they apply to be part of the Ride Panda system? How does that work? 
Yeah, interesting question. So I think initially, as you can imagine, as a stealth startup, we were the ones leveraging our relationships that we had across me and Charlie with brands that we knew or we had tested or we wrote them to, to reach out and call them. And actually, we, we worked on this idea with all the manufacturers who told us their problems and pains. Uh, since we have launched, we got our, we have been thankful and generous to a lot of the press we have received and we're getting a lot of inbound as well. A lot of yeah. brands that are reaching out to us across the different categories who want to be part of the platform. And, and you know, uh, and, and that is great for the end consumer because they can, you know, the more competition we have, the more rigorous our vetting system can be. And so, uh, so that we can then make sure that the high quality products are listed and the consumers can make a smart choice uh, uh, across the, the, uh, our platform. Excellent. Um, and then, so so that's at the moment, that's for the vehicle manufacturers. And then there are other services as well, because I, when I looked on your website, you've got, um, if you were to go through that whole kind of the purchase journey, um, you also sell things like insurance and service plans and other things as well. So can you talk me through what those, uh, like how those are bundled up? Are they all, do they, do, does the liability for those sit with you or are they bundled off to another group who, who, who offer those as well? Yeah, so so I think that there, there, there's a you know as you said like there is a lot of different services and support that we offer. So theft insurance, we have a third party for that. Additional warranty, usually manufacturers will offer you one year warranty. We will help you get a second year. We have a three PL for that. Uh, for uh, m- monthly financing, we're working with a couple of different players. We also just launched recently a layaway plan where people can get access to the vehicles. They can pay over time, and once they have paid, they can get access to the product. Uh, the two sort of high touch or operational pieces, which are at-home assembly and maintenance plan. Uh, both we think will be very crucial, especially considering that consumers increasingly buying these products online. And not everybody's willing to get their hands dirty and build a, you know, it's fun, but not for everybody to build an e-bike at home. Yeah. <laughs> or, there are or only to be, certain people who go to Ikea. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so, so this is where uh, we do two things. We are testing a couple of different third parties. Um, uh, to be able to see uh, how they are, uh, we have you know there are companies like which have like sort of TaskRabbit for mechanics that we get access to. The other advantage we have is that through across me and Charlie coming from the Limebird and Scooch of the world, we know a lot of good mechanics in our markets, and that's that's I think uh, that is where we are uh, pushing as well uh, in terms of getting our like for example, if you have any issue with a moped uh, in San Francisco, the best mechanic is actually someone that Charlie sat across. Uh, to in, in San Francisco in the Scoot yes. warehouse. Similarly, uh, I bring in my network ex- ex- as well, or or we can just call up um, and, and ask our our ex colleague there who's the best couple of mechanics that we should have in our in our pipeline as issues come up. So that is what we are trying to do uh, over time. Yeah, I am. Um, there's a whole nother uh, conversation that I'd love to have. Uh, maybe we could uh, let, let's do this now. Um, what's the talent development pipeline for e-bike mechanics? Because this is something that I think about a lot, which is there isn't really a universal standard for what a good quality mechanic can look like. And with all the bikes, as they proliferate, we're going to have lots and lots and lots of different services. And how is that uh, talent developed? Because is it all learning on the job at the moment? Or are there particular certifications people can go and get? And do they pay well? And how's that working? How does that market look at the moment? Yeah, no, great question. And to be honest, I think it's still... Um there was a lot of, to be very honest, bikes. Bikes industry has a lot of resistance uh, to e-bikes. Uh, you know, so traditionally, when you go buy a bike from a bike shop, they're they're enthusiasts who think e-bikes are cheating. So their yes. willingness for them to operate or te- or maintain an e-bike was very less. 
Uh, that said, I think with the with the rising consumer demand that is dramatically shifting, so there are a lot more mechanics coming up, opening up to help assist an e-bike. In terms of training, so actually Bosch, which is the leading uh, OEM for batteries and motors, they actually have their own certification program where you can take that and you can become a certified Bosch mechanic, technician, and, and, and there's a couple of third parties in the US as well as in Europe, they do offer that skill set. Uh, which we think only in future would be, you know, we would also want to make sure that we have access to that talent so that they've done this sort of certification. When you look at scooters, it's still a, it's even a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a world where, to be honest, uh, your degree comes from how many months you spend at Lime or Bird or Tier or uh, Boy. That's basically it. Uh, and that's sort of the, the wedding that we are looking at, you know, and the wisdom that the folks have gained over the past couple of years having operated on scooters. So that's sort of how the industry is. I think still, um, uh, still uh, early days of the industry. But as um, as this gets more and more popular, e-bikes, for example, in Europe already in cities like uh, uh, in Amsterdam, which is the most uh, you know the iconic bike cities, actually more e-bikes are sold uh, than normal human-powered bikes. So I think the the yes. talent pool is shifting and embracing what the consumers are doing. Um, and, and that's where I think, um, you know, we can also do our part in terms of as in future as we work with these mechanics to make sure that we as a company uh, give them the right training tools and programs, etc. Yeah. The other challenge in repair, you know, on, on, on maintaining this, I think, as you what you alluded to with the boosted experience is that is repairability. And that's one of our selection criteria. So not every e-bike that you buy uh, has uh, oh, wholesale products, uh, mm. parts. Parts is we know from our Lime and Bird world is so very crucial. You may have the light skill set, you may have the right training with some program you did, but you know may not have the right part because the supply chain of parts was not ready. And I think that's where we are also trying to suffice through that, uh, where we you know we have a criteria of repairability where we look at the what the parts and components of that e-bike or scooter is, and, and we sort of vet if it's if it's. 90% custom or 95% custom, then we are apprehensive about repairability for that vehicle. Because we don't, unless the brand can prove it to us that they will be able to get a strong supply chain of parts, that's question mark. So it's not so just the talent development, but also the parts, I think is very, very crucial. Yeah, so would a group like Van Moof who have a bike that's 85 or 90% custom, would that be considered, would that re- receive a low score on repairability as a result? Yes, yes, correct, yeah. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, great, um, who, so, so I think about it also as well, which is, um, and, and to go back to this consumer journey of uh, me purchasing a e-bike with my mum, uh, is she wanted to ride it, right? And so that was a kind of a key decision kind of criteria for her around going and testing out a lot of different bikes. And she went out and rode a bunch and she came back and was like, no, no, this is one that I want to buy. Um, how do you think about that, especially in the kind of that journey of how do you build trust with a consumer that you know what you're talking about? Um, and that also that the vehicle that they're going to end up picking is one that will feel because in some in some ways it can be kind of quite an academic thing in some ways what you're doing you know and quite analytical and it works for kind of analytical brains like me but for a lot of people it's just like I just want to hop on the thing and ride it and feel what it feels like you know um, how do you think through that aspect of the of the consumer journey? Yeah, no, great question. To be honest, today we are online only. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so we what we, what we saw from a vantage point before even starting uh, Right Panda is that we, like there was a huge appetite to, for consumers to get some high quality content, photos, videos, reviews, and pull the trigger and actually get one. Um, that said, you're right. I think there's a big section of customers who do want to test and try. 
Uh, what we are uh, doing starting sometime next year, early next year, is to actually offer something called we call mobile showrooms, where uh, let's say you're interested in e-bike, you have these four choices that you you know you're thinking about. You 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 know you would love to maybe to get get to try it. What we will do is we'll we'll bring those four products to your home. You try it um, um, and then test it, and if you like one. Uh, you can purchase it within X amount of days and we can refund your wave of half of your testing fee. So that's something we want to pilot just in San Francisco uh, sometime next year to see consumers' appetite. And if this concern about testing and trying, we're able to give them, you know, you know, you know and, and offer a solution. That makes sense. Mm, that would have been fantastic if that was available. How, how much would it end up costing? Because I feel like that would be a cost prohibitive thing for you to run as a service. Yeah, so I think I think we would we would to be honest, we will have to you know it's like retail showroom is coming to you versus you going to one, and so yeah. we'll have to charge a testing fee uh, that we will still uh, you know we'll look at a couple of variations to see what makes sense for the consumer, and we'll also try to waive let's say half of that once if they do decide to buy let's say within a week. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hear you. I just I feel like that's a that's a uh, that couldn't be like a cheap thing for you yeah. to run given that yeah. you have to also maintain on the other side stock etc for them to be yeah. and different yeah. sizes of vehicle and all that. anyway no, no, no it's, it's all good um okay cool um uh looking at this who do you consider the competition for uh you know that that um that kind of online experience at least yeah, so, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, we are very biased, but we think even today the software and the experience we have is much better than anybody else um, uh, in the industry in terms of, you know, the recommendation. We're building something called a comparison tool where, it, you know, easily you can surface through different choices, compare what you need. Uh, competition, I think, broadly, I think retail for this our category still happens offline, majority. Mm. Uh, which is bike shops. Uh, it is what we, you know, what is happening is including shifting to online, eating is shifting to electric, where really, if you know, there are two main sort of ent- buckets that we have in terms of competition. Number one being the big box retailers, so Amazon, Walmart of the world, which sell, you know, which sell hundreds of different products, a lot of, in our opinion, cheaper, lower quality, many times shift from Asia, no support, no recourse, no servicing. Uh, and a lot of the high quality brands also choose not to partner with them because of the brand dilution risk they have being on Amazon. The other, the other, op, uh, the other competition, so we, we say, is that uh, people going direct to consumers. So, for example, when move, uh, where you know it could potentially be seen as a competition, where uh, instead of going to a choice platform like us, you just go to a single. Uh, yeah, product that, that you may found remove or my friend loved it exactly yeah. so that is really it but i think as we look at the industry as you look at the variety as you look at the different use cases uh we think um, this industry only deserves a, a, a sort of a trusted platform to compare and look at features uh, look at choices and just for example a strong parallel again going back to the car world just in the u.s last year 20 million new cars were sold mm-hmm. right which is actually equal to how many number of bikes were sold. Apples to apples in terms of number of units. Mm. If you do used as well, you can have to multiply 2x to both the numbers. Now, if you look at for cars, you have seven different public companies in the US that help you buy, sell, lease a car. From CarMax, CarGurus, Carwana, Shift, Room, the last two just went public this year. But when you look at the bike world, uh, which is, uh, there's absolutely you know it's a very broken even experience. on the standard bike there's no sales comparison i don't actually know i'm trying to think about um a, a consumer tool like this 
Yeah, so um, so so I think that the reason why it, it's also is, is 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 less of the case is because there was a lot of resistance five years ago from the traditional brands and bike shops to actually sell online because mm. a they wanted to keep their bike shops and dealerships in business. B they also did not necessarily believe that consumers would want to buy online. Mm. What has actually changed is in the past five years is proliferation of electric products such as you know uh, Venmove who are who are completely changing the game and selling in in a very innovative way, which is online. Uh, and that is why I think it made, it makes sense for someone like us to come in uh, to to help uh, consumers. And I hear you on all of that, but I do wonder a little bit about this. Um you know, a lot of those uh, car manufacturers or those car sites are not going direct from manufacturing. They're going from dealerships, right? So they're looking at all the stock that's available. Had that been something that you had considered uh, when you were going and building this, which is you've got a comparison site, but on the back end at the moment, you're obviously like linking off direct to uh, the, the manufacturer to make that purchase. But have you looked at, for example, a way to keep track of and look into, for example, all the local bike shops that might be around and who would stock those models and therefore... You can be the referral site that goes and, you know, connects a consumer to the local bike shop that might have that particular vehicle in stock. Has that, has that been something that you've explored? Yeah, so I think something we are, we are, we are, we are looking into definitely. I think, to be honest, we also don't think, we, we all, I want to also be very clear that we don't, we do think bike shops will have a strong role to play in the industry still. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is consumer appetite is changing, shifting dramatically to online. So something, somebody like us would be their gateway. Uh, bike shops could still be, you know, we're talking to some of the bike shops here where they could be a partner for testing and trial. So instead of, you know, let's say you buy XYZ brand and we can connect you to a bike shop to go try it and potentially buy it. So uh, as well as uh, and second thing being on, on, the, on the support side. Uh, so th- we, are, we are open to that. We're, we're thinking through it. I think there is, uh, it's just, uh, you know, uh, there is, there's a huge um, there's a has been a resistance from the bike shops. They they have been oh, no, worried totally about online. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and now things are opening up. Now I think there's also increased apprehension because if they are not online, uh, you're maybe potentially losing customers. Mm. Uh, so I think it, it's it's been a weird. It's, and now with COVID, it has been an even more weird year where suddenly bike shops started seeing a lot more sales because people will buy whoever will sell. Uh, so uh, we are talking to them. We are exploring them. I think we don't think we will all the, the, the power of bike shops like in the US. There are seven seven thousand different bike shops that exist. The power yeah. they provide is the ubiquitous network of dealership support, right? Uh, within cities, uh, and we do hope to be able to be in a position to partner with them in various different ways. Be it trying, being assembly, being maintenance. I hear you, Charlie. Anything to add there? Um, just to echo uh, Chinmay, I mean, we definitely want to work uh, collaboratively with with bike shops. I mean, we're not here to to get rid of them, but you know, to assist them in in the transition to to online. I think that we could be very uh, complementary partners and you know, a powerful gateway to helping them sell online, and also you know, a powerful way for us to deliver some of that that maintenance. Yep, I hear you. Um- so a question for you, Charlie. So, so you obviously, I mean, both of you came from the from the uh, the, the sharing experience, but you know, you you've worked at a couple of them. So you've worked at Scoot and then at Bird. Um, what was your, you know, how do you think of this in terms of the ownership journey, or, or sorry, sorry, like ownership versus sharing in terms of how you think the market is starting to break down and 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 where you think that that's going to go? Yeah, 
Um, I mean, I, you know, when I was working at, at Scoot, I couldn't tell you the number of times where someone would, you know, ride up next to me on, on a Vespa or even a Gen Z that they had bought themselves and said, hey, I love Scoot and I used to ride it. And, you know, I, it made me want to buy my own. Uh, and I think, you know, we continue, continue to see that. And I think we continue to see sharing as, as a really nice way of, you know, introducing millions and millions of people to these devices. I mean, it's incredible what, what, what our previous employers have done uh, to show the world what, what amazing, you know, transportation devices these are and how effective they are um, in cities, especially. Uh, so I think, you know, we're, we're going to continue existing uh, synergistically. Um, you know, I, th I think when you're introduced to these vehicles, you're, you, that sort of, you know, piques your, your interest, whets your appetite for uh, even exploring what, what ownership might be. And I think there's some very, you know, important value props here in, in terms of ownership versus sharing. Uh, you know, wonder, number one being, being cost. Uh, if you you take a ride uh, in a major metropolitan area in the U.S. these days, it's going to be you know eight to ten dollars a pop, and if you buy your own, it sort of you know pays itself off within within a few months potentially. Uh, so I think on on the cost side, it can make sense for for certain for certain consumers um, who are you know using these things frequently, uh, or people who want you know point number two is just the convenience of it. Uh, and the accessibility of it, the, that vehicle that you purchase, that you own yourself, uh, that you maybe even have, have a bit of a emotional attachment to is going to be there for you every day. It's not like you're going to have to go onto an app, hunt around for one that's A, nearby, B, in service, C, charged enough for where you want to go, uh, or, you know, D, cleaned for COVID. Um, you know, that thing's going to be there for you charged, especially in terms of, you know, planned travel. So when you're, you're going somewhere from your house, obviously that makes sense. Maybe if you're out and about, I mean, we, we totally think, uh, you know, for unplanned travel, the, you know, all the shared services are, are wonderful. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll continue to exist, uh, very nicely together. Um, yeah. I had a, um, so when I interviewed the CEO of Boosted, this is before Boosted went under, uh, the, after he finished the interview, he made it. He made a very good point, which is he said, <laughs> "How much can I repeat?" Uh, he 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 was like, "I love that sharing companies exist because effectively they're my they're my lead generation <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for yeah. me selling yeah. scooters. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. it's they're like free advertising. I I just you know I pick up this thing on the other side and um, this is great. So um, yeah, no, it's it's a re I think it is really interesting, especially in that kind of that transition into to ownership. Certainly was the case for me. I used a lot of scooters and then I bought my own. So um, yeah, great. Um, and then in terms of COVID, I mean, obviously it's been an interesting period. Um, there's sort of a couple of things I wanted to touch on around the kind of experience. So how long have you been around together in terms of actually having a site live for Ride Panda? Yeah, so we, we, we met and, and bonded and bromance, as Charlie mentioned, uh, pre-COVID. <laughs> yes. And then COVID came and we were almost going to call our company Commute, which I'm glad we did not. Yes. Because, as you know, Commute completely tanked. Uh, and then we launched a site sometime in June. Uh, great, um, great. We got a test site up. Uh, to be honest, we had a test site up, and then we had a we did a public launch just a month ago. Yeah, excellent. And then, so in terms of um, you know, how have you seen that uh, kind of affect the the landscape of personally owned micromobility? I think the narrative, right, is that things are you know e-bike sales have, and and e-scooter sales have exploded. Uh, everybody's kind of looking for solutions. Is there any kind of other color that you'd add to the story around that? And things in terms of things that you've seen. 
Yeah, so I think the the fascinating piece, I think, which which I guess you know sort of explains why the demand really skyrocketed when com- people are not going to work. So the commutes, which is a key transportation use case, just completely disappears. But what we saw, even with you know with our right final, we're capturing a lot of different you know data points on how consumers are trying to you know how they're making a decision to buy. So the leisurely use case, the neighborhood use case, uh, is is what is really driving uh, a lot of these sales. Where people are just looking to de-stress, re, you know, for a recreational use case, just get around, maybe you know, go to a park, etc. And I think that is really has what has led to uh, this. So that sort of explains the the demand that is so high, despite commute dramatically going away. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And let me let me just add that you know during COVID, and the, this isn't necessarily specific to ownership, but I think it helps is that you know co- the all of the infrastructure that's that's been built during COVID for uh, bikes specifically, but for micromobility has helped break down that barrier uh, for people who feel, you know, it's unsafe to, to ride these vehicles, uh, especially at slightly higher speeds on roads, competing with SUVs, etc. And I think, you know, COVID accelerated, it was already happening before COVID, but COVID accelerated, you know, some of the, the infrastructure that was being built. I mean, I think during COVID, Hundreds of miles of you know protected bike lanes have been put in. Um, you know new new mandates have been put into effect. Um, you know we saw New York you know legalize class three e bikes. Um, you know before they would have because of COVID. Uh, so there have been all of these very positive developments uh, in terms of regulation and infrastructure that I help, think have made you know help break that break down that barrier for people who were maybe a little um, scared of of taking these vehicles out on the streets. Yeah. Um, and then for you, obviously, I mean, you've been looking to raise money. So you have raised money, uh, as far as I understand. Uh, anything you can share around that? And then also what that, I mean, who are you finding uh, are looking to support your venture in this in this, uh, in this way? And whether or not they're sort of more traditional e-commerce players or are they uh, micromobility specific players? And then, or mobility specific players? And then, and then. Uh, you know, how is that, how is the conversation of the rest of the industry influenced that conversation that you've been having? Um, yeah, no, like, yeah, great question. And um, I, I think to be honest, like when we started this, I think there was some apprehension and resistance to micro mobility in general, uh, because it was pre-COVID days, like what's, you know, what does it mean? Like I want a lot of the venture capitalists, they were wanting to just stay out of micro mobility, to be honest, initially. Yeah. Uh, and when then COVID came in, I think it was mobility itself was a question mark. Uh, so then they wanted to still stay out of it. And I think eventually, I think we did find um, some, some investors who were interested in us. And I think um, what we found is that we are we are not purely an operations play. I think there's a big consumer part to us. And I think that's where our, our thesis and story connected a lot with uh, folks who have done a lot of consumer investments, who have seen yes. it, who who like our, uh, our sort of owning the full user cycle, from discovery to buying to ownership to future doing used and trading, etc. And I think that's connected a lot more with the user, you know, the, the consumer investor. So we do have, uh, you know, we're very thankful to General Catalyst, who is one of our investors, who is a leading consumer, you know, uh, you know, VC. They have, their portfolio includes uh, anywhere from Warby Parker, etc. Uh, so that's one of the, you know, the one of the funds that invested in us. I think we're excited about. Uh, that said, we are actively, you know, talking to different funds and different angels, and who can really help advise and guide through uh, the pit mistakes and pitfall we should avoid, as well as trying to, uh, you know, see how do we accelerate our growth and how do we get millions more on it tomorrow versus a slower organic growth. Yeah, 
absolutely. Um, and just to finish up, that, so there's there's one part about this whole um, the whole kind of uh, this micro mobility space and experience for purchasing, where um, I I think about my own. Uh, so I don't I haven't really purchased anything in the micro mobility space, but one thing that I think about uh, is that there's a website and anybody who's spent any time on youtube might have seen it it's called car wow and there's a guy called matt watson on car wow and he just does racing uh like he, he takes really nice high-end cars and then races them up and down a up and down a runway um to do acceleration tests but they are they're like a car comparison website and they they're effectively doing the same thing and in the, the content strategy aspect I think is so important in this sort of comparison, getting your name out there. And you kind of mentioned that you were thinking about it as a sort of, you're going to lead with content. Um, it, I still have, I don't feel like there's one, there's a kind of a go-to person yet who is the trusted source on e-bikes or, or, or kind of performance space, like electric vehicles, etc., where they've got a kind of a relatively consistent criteria which they across which they compare them. And they're really kind of quite an engaging character. And um, they're the ones who kind of lead most of the comparison discussions I've seen on, on uh, e-scooters or bikes or anything like this are still don't quite feel like they're there. H- have you seen anybody in that space who you think is a trusted source or you think, uh, or do you think that that space is still open and you might have an opportunity to go and try and fill it? And yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I think to be honest, I think we, we, uh, we've both went to the pain of finding good content. There's a lot of, you know, you, if you go on YouTube or review sites, there's, there's some, you know, there you see a lot of different content. Uh, we think uh, we could build that type of a content ourselves. And that's one thing we want to do. And so Charlie is actually very excited about, Charlie, you want to share about your zero to 60 seconds or 30 seconds of acceleration between four e-bikes, similar to the car world that you saw. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're excited for all of that. I think we, we love the vehicles. We, you know, this is great, but I think there are different, different, uh, you know, videos or reviews help different types and kinds of customers to make a decision uh, online. And I think that's something that's the, that's a game we want to play. Uh, and, and, and in, let's say in a couple of years down the line, when you ask the question, hopefully, hopefully right pen has done a decent job in, in creating a lot of that. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, just to follow on to that, I think, you know, there, there are some really good resources out there is like electric bike reviews, there's uh, EBR, and then there's also electric scooter guide. Uh, and they do a good job of presenting some of that data, but I, I don't, they're, we're not, we haven't gotten to the point where uh, we're like bridging the gap between sort of all the all the specs, all the sort of components, et cetera, and the actual real world use case for, for people who don't, you know, aren't in this industry and don't know a whole lot about all the different parts that go into the e-bikes. Like, what is this vehicle good for? Why is it something that I should ride in my use case, in my context? in my city, what makes it good for, for, you know, commuting, what makes it good for off-road, what makes it good for multi-use. Maybe I have a family, but I also want to use it for commuting. Uh, and I think that's what Ride Panda is trying to, to achieve is to sort of bridge that gap um, between all the sort of technical side of things and the real-world use case um, for these vehicles. Um, so to help consumers, you know, figure out, um, you know, what, what exactly they should be using these these vehicles for and which which vehicles are good for them. Uh, and I, that's something I definitely, we have not, you know, come across and that's exactly what, what we're trying to build. Uh, we're, we're working on some some other tools to help users connect with, with the right vehicle, uh, including a, a map tool that will be uh, pretty fun for, for users to interact with 
where they where we'll uh, you know find find the different routes that they give us, um, calculate the the dis- distances and elevation gain, uh, and then match you with with the very perfect vehicle for that use case. Yeah, you should have a sweatometer so that uh, people can know how much they're going to sweat on that trip. Um, you, you'd, sorry, Chimney, you'd mentioned something for Charlie about the zero to 60 or, oh, yes. or something. Yeah, 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 what's that? No, yeah, so that's that's something I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So, you know, in the, in the car world, everyone's always excited about, oh, how fast does this thing go zero to 60? Uh, so we want to come up with something similar that's maybe like a zero to 15, which is also, yes. <laughs> you know, pretty fun. Um, you know, a little, a little, a little, you know, a little tamer than than the zero to sixty, uh, but you know, with in our category, still pretty exciting. So, uh, yeah. yeah, excited to come come up with things like that. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for for joining. I just want to say it was a fan- fantastic to finally have a chance to uh, sit down and discuss this with you. I've been following your your journey uh, since I heard about it, kind of mid year. And uh, it's very exciting. I mean, I think it's great. As you say, there hasn't barely been anything in this market. I think there's an absolute place for it. And so uh, it's, it's, it's great to have a chance to sort of be able to share that a little bit with, uh, with the listeners. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Oliver. We love uh, all the things you're doing here. We will be honest and, and, you know, and thankful to you. We took a lot of inspiration having you heard, you and Horace, uh, about the market, about the opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, well, thanks for us. Thanks for having us and um, definitely look forward to being in touch. Thank you so much for having us, Oliver. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Not at all. <laughs> uh, it's great. It's great to have you on and uh, great to meet you both and, and, and to be able to share your story. So uh, thanks very much. And we we'll look forward to having you on soon. Again, Thank Wonderful. you. Thank you, Oliver. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.